Welcome to Full Potential, Thriving with Autism. I'm your host, Sarah Antonato. This podcast teaches parents of children with autism to support their kids in reaching their full potential so that they can thrive and not let stereotypes define them. By looking at a variety of topics, such as health, advocacy, and spirituality, my mission is to end suffering amongst these parents by giving them the tools to heal themselves, which in turn empowers them to be bold advocates for their children. By gaining the confidence needed to do so, these parents stop being the victims of a broken system and instead succeed in providing their unique children with exactly what they need to thrive and share their own gifts with the world. One by one, these families now change the world through autism instead of being victimized by it. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome. Today we are talking about self-stimulatory behaviors. This is one of the biggest topics parents bring up when I speak with them in my coaching practice. Sometimes parents feel like the stim has become a crutch and they don't know how to get rid of it. Sometimes parents wonder if it's okay to let their child engage in self-stimulatory behaviors because there are different schools of thought around whether it's helpful or harmful. So today, we're going to take a closer look at this topic because stimming is not a black or white issue. There's a lot of nuance here, and how everyone chooses to handle it will be different, but I'll tell you how I handle it with my own child and also what it might indicate because stimming does serve a purpose whether it's appropriate or not. So let's dive in. So let's start with what is a self-stimulatory behavior or action? And a self-stim behavior, stimming as it's often called, is a predictable action that has a predictable result. This is why people like to engage in it. And a stim specifically occurs when the external environment and the internal environment are competing with each other. To overcome stimuli competition, aka not knowing what to do with oneself, the individual becomes consumed by a stim. An example of a stim might be uh, picking up a piece of string and twiddling it back and forth. Another example of a stim might be finding something that spins and spinning it round and round and watching it spin over and over again. And this is, again, a repetitive action with a repetitive result that allows the individual engaging in it to bypass the stimulation that's coming from inside and competing with the stimulation around. Now, often you will see stimulatory behaviors for a few different reasons. One, boredom. When a student does not know what's expected of him or her, very often they will turn to stimming because it feels safe. It feels like there are expectations they can understand. It feels like they know what to do and how to do it. So when they feel out of place, stimming feels predictable and inviting. Sometimes people will stim if they're overtired or nervous. 
because again, their brain is having trouble filtering through all the stimuli. So it will revert back to this safe activity instead. I can only speak for my own child, of course, but he will usually only engage in stimming strongly if he is overtired, anxious, or there's something going on in his biome that I don't yet know about. If he's engaged in an activity, if he's engaged in any type of situation where he feels confident, he knows what's expected of him, we don't really see very much self-stimulatory behavior. When I do see it, it indicates to me that either he doesn't feel confident in his role in what's going on in that moment, or if he does, then there might be something going on with him that I have to take a look at more closely in his blood work. There are different schools of thought around stimming. Some people say, oh, stimming is enjoyable. Let people do it. Let kids do it. Other people say, absolutely not. Stimming is not appropriate behavior, and you need to stop it in its tracks. So as we go through this discussion on stimming today, you'll probably find your own answer in terms of how you need to address it in your life or your child's life. But first, in order to understand that, we have to understand that there are two kinds of stimming behaviors, self-stimulatory behaviors, calming and excitatory. Calming stim behaviors have no emotionality involved. They are simple. They are straightforward. For example, if you ever chew on a piece of gum when you're nervous, that is a calming stim behavior that you engage in. Someone on the spectrum might do the same. They might instead chew on a sensory toy for input in an appropriate way, and that would be seen as a calming stim. It's not creating excitement. It's not creating agitation. It's actually allowing for more focus. There's no emotionality involved. My daughter, who's neurotypical, often hums or sings gently when she does her homework. That's a calming stim behavior. It's quiet. It's not bothersome to her or anyone else. It doesn't create agitation. No problem. So this type of stim is one that, when you see it, is pretty harmless, meaning it's okay to allow it if that feels good for you. Allowing someone to engage in a calming stim during an activity is the equivalent of, like I said before, chewing gum during an exam. It's steadying for you. It helps you focus. It's not hurting anybody. It's fine. Excitatory stim behaviors are different. Excitatory stimulatory behaviors have an emotionality to them. They create excitement, even agitation. They can inhibit learning because they are so agitating that they compete with the teacher or the lesson or the task at hand. And very often what people don't realize about an excitatory stim behavior is that it is a slippery slope from a stim like this into an OCD hole. Here's how that works. When you engage in an excitatory stim, in my son's case, for example, he might spot 
my headphones on the ground. I still use the headphones with the wire because I don't want AirPods and electromagnetic field exposure in my brain. Make fun of me if you'd like. But I still, as a result, have my iPhone headphones in my purse or in my pocket, and sometimes they end up on the table. And when he sees them, it's very tempting for him to take the cord and shake it. This becomes an excitatory stim behavior because the shaking it becomes more and more intense as time goes on. And what is at first gratifying for him then quickly becomes agitating. And it quickly becomes addictive, just like any other addiction, when at first it's gratifying, you like it, having a drink, for example. But then you keep doing it because you feel like you have to keep doing it, even though you no longer like it. I have a friend who is in Alcoholics Anonymous, and she said that it got to the point with her drinking where she didn't even know why she was doing it anymore. Didn't make her feel good anymore, like the first drink did, but she couldn't stop doing it. Excitatory stims can quickly progress into the same type of addictive cycle. And I'm telling you this because very often family members of ours, and this might be the case with you too, will see someone stimming and say, oh, just let him do it. He likes it because they're unaware of the addictive quality it has on the brain and how actually, even though he liked it at first, it's a very quick road to him not liking it. The fastest way to watch my son get disorganized or dysregulated in his brain is to let him stim for more than a moment. Before you know it, he's upset. He doesn't feel good about himself. He doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing next. He feels disorganized in his brain. And that stim that felt good at the start is no longer feeling that same way. Now, a self-stimulatory behavior is different than an impulse behavior because an impulse behavior is unpredictable. It does not have that repetitive quality it does not have that predictability again and again. It would be like all of a sudden a child standing up and throwing something when this is a kid who never throws anything. That would be an impulse behavior. So a stim is different. Even an excitatory stim is different because it does have that predictable quality. And as I've become a rapid prompt practitioner working with more and more children, it has been imparted to me by my mentors and teachers that it's your job as a parent or as a therapist to be a stim thermometer, to feel out what stims are calming and helpful to the work that you're doing versus which stims are quickly becoming excitatory and devolving into an OCD loop. Now, if, like a woman who I spoke with today, your child has an addiction to a self-stimulatory behavior, maybe stimming on one particular item every day, the best course of action to take in that moment is 
not to just say, stop it, stop it, because you're disrupting the pattern, but it doesn't make the person feel good. It makes them feel self-conscious and also doesn't help to redirect them at all. Your best course of action instead is saying, hey, I'm noticing you're in an OCD loop here. Call it out. Assume competence. Assume that the individual understands you because they do and say, let's change up the energy here and then put on some loud music instead, for example. Now, this is not the time to put on some nice Mozart and have a dignified experience. If, let's use the word loud, if your child is engaged in an excitatory stem that's consuming kind of on a loud level all of their senses, you're going to need to disrupt that stem loudly, so to speak, with as much input as is needed to move their attention. So if your child likes music, this is the time to put on some classic rock, turn it up loud, enough so that they can direct all their attention to something else and remove it from that excitatory stim. This is a more powerful strategy than just saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, over and over, which we know never works anyway. That's like telling someone to calm down. They will never calm down. But it is up to you as the parent or therapist to redirect the energy. And so often, the child or the student is really capable of redirecting their energy quickly. They are not the issue. Almost always the issue is the parent has to be ready to put the work involved into redirecting their attention or being prepared to think on their feet in case they need to remove someone's attention from the stem and work a little bit at keeping them entertained. It's not that the student isn't capable. It's very often that the teacher is not ready. So when you're looking at your child's stimming, ask yourself, am I ready to disrupt the stim? Because of course my kid's capable. Am I ready to suggest something else? Am I ready to play with them for a few minutes so that we can hold their attention here instead of on that excitatory stim? Very often, students of mine, clients of mine, will say things like, oh, my son has to have this toy. He has to take it everywhere he goes. Or he has to play and stim with this one thing. And I let him do it because it keeps him quiet. Let me emphasize, there's nothing wrong with the child here. It's that the parent hasn't yet taken ownership of the situation and felt ready to say, oh, hey, you know, we're not going to do that now. Let's put our attention here instead. Because it takes work. It takes energy. So it's your job to feel it out. Feel your way through. Don't take the lazy road. I know it's so much easier sometimes to let your child or student just stim and have a total stim fest and devolve into an OCD. But getting them out of there can be hard. And you certainly can't expect them to want to engage with you after they do that. I never understood why in so many school settings, kids would sit and engage with their teacher in a one-on-one -on -one fashion, get to a really focused place, and then as a reward, the teacher would say, okay, go ahead and give them a STEM toy and let them sit in the STEM area for a few minutes. 
and totally space out. At that point, they lose them. And then it's so hard to get them back because they're dysregulated, they're disorganized in their body, they don't feel confident anymore, they've lost their focus. Instead, why not have a designated person there to play catch or put on some music and have a dance break? Something that gives the student a break from the task they were doing, which is probably required at that point, but doesn't allow him or her to space out. If you want to give a child a sensory break with calming stims, such as having a sensory toy to chew on or even a massager to hold, that's a great way to give someone a break and at the same time keep them calm while gratifying their sensory needs. It will prevent them from going into that OCD loop, which can be very hard to break. If you are in the process of breaking an OCD loop brought on by excitatory stims, give yourself at least a month of working on it every day for it to feel normal or easier. Sometimes it only takes a few days. Other times it can take much longer. So don't get down on yourself if it's taking some practice because that's totally normal. I always laugh when my husband and I have a family member who will say, oh, it's okay if if Rocco stims, let him stim, he likes it. Because we both know that that family member is going to be off and headed home in an hour. They're not going to be the one to bring him back from a stim. They're not going to be the one to break that OCD loop and have to do the work later. That's us. So whenever a well-intended person says that, I always say, oh, that's really sweet of you to think of him, but instead of doing that, we like to do this instead. And they might think I'm too strict. I don't care. Again, they're not going to be the one reeling him in later. That's going to be me. So as a result, I feel totally confident in keeping age-appropriate routines. And also, this is my own, maybe my ego talking, and I'm okay with that. I like to show my child that he is capable of anything. And he is capable of doing everything his neurotypical peers do. And as a result, I remind him to conduct himself in a way that makes him feel confident in being able to do that. And when he stims, he's aware that he's not connected to himself, not connected to his environment, not connected to the social cues of the situation, it doesn't make him feel good. It doesn't make him feel confident. So that makes it easier for me to help redirect him when needed because I know I'm supporting him in taking the next step on his journey as he grows up. I know stimming can be a loaded topic. I know that no matter how much you search on the internet, you will find a million and one different theories about it, but... I hope today's episode helps you to be a STEM thermometer and navigate through when you feel okay allowing some stimming behaviors and when you don't. And if you're the primary caregiver for your child, the only one who has to feel good about this is you, nobody else. So stay connected to you. And if you feel like you're navigating some sticky stuff and you don't have a support person for yourself, send me an email. 
sarah at sarahinstanto.com. Let's talk. You are not alone. And I'm here to support you as you take the next step in your journey as a leader of your family. Have a great day. Have a great day. If today's show resonated with you, please leave a review through your favorite podcast provider as it's an important step in allowing new listeners to find us when they need to hear this message in their own lives.